Welcome to ATVS, the podcast, where we drop weekly episodes for the curious and open-minded among us. We've recorded episodes on topics from bravery training to the rising man movement, and from oh search, oh yeah, to threshold experiences. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick, and my guest today is an archetypal astrologer who returns for a provocative second episode. Just before we get started, here are a few ways you may choose to support this independent podcast. Pick an episode that's lit you up and text or email it to a friend. Do us a solid and write a review or click on the patron link and support us that way. All of it matters and helps to spread the high vibrations of ATBS, the podcast. Now let's explore with Ren Butler. Thank you for listening to all things big and small ATBS, the podcast. My name is Keith Gorman, good friend of Jeff Vollmerich. Jeff's doing some wonderful things. I encourage you to become a patron. Go to atbs.com and click on the patron link. Now back to the program. Welcome back to ATBS, the podcast, Ren. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be here, Jeff. Thank you. For our listeners, this is number two. The first episode that we did together, I took the liberty of calling it Let's Journey with Ren Butler. As you heard in the intro, you know, Ren is an archetypal astrologer, among many other things. And we had the privilege of meeting back in February at a wonderful Stan and Brigitte Groff hosted holotropic breath workshop in Oakland, California. And anybody who's heard the first episode knows all about that. But that's where you and I met and what a, what a treat that was. Yeah, really. Wow. As we said before, we turned on the microphones. Can't wait to see our friends in person again. Yeah, yeah, maybe in six months, enough people will be vaccinated, let's hope. It certainly feels like there's light at the end of the tunnel. It does. Which is encouraging. You know, our last conversation was quite a few months ago, and I think I asked, you know, is there any reason for optimism? <laughs> and you and you said it's going to be a bit of a slog, right? Like, pull up your bootstraps and, and you know, strap in because it's going to be a while. Here we are quite a number of months later, and you know, we've got quite a number of months to go to, you know, move whatever the beyond pandemic looks like. We got a ways to go before we get there. Yeah. Yeah. Astrologically, what do you see on that front? Are we? <laughs> I know we can easily point towards vaccination and go, okay, well, maybe by summertime, we, you know, spring and summer and fall, we'll be, we'll be seeing something beyond what we've become accustomed to. I think the main signifier astrologically of this pandemic is the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Saturn and Pluto are together in the sky. That's what we call a conjunction. And it was operative in 2019, 2020, and will be going through 2021. So we're about two-thirds of the way through that very intense, contractive archetypal energy. I think this is the beginning of the end, you know, to quote from Churchill. I'm also just so thrilled that the American democracy has held the moral center held, as my teacher Rick Tarnas described it. It's just been a very hair-raising uh, several months. So I, I want to congratulate all your American listeners out there for the successful election. And I think that democracy, in a way, is a, is a horrible thing, but it's far better than any alternative. <laughs> <laughs> well said. So thank goodness that. Uh, 
you know, that it, it was a free and fair election. Yeah, thank you for, for saying that. I know we're going to dive into that and take a much closer look at astrologically and politically and how people lean and why they lean in certain directions and so on and so forth. But thank you for that. It, it certainly hasn't been, it's certainly been a, been a bumpy ride and certain things had to go certain ways to to keep us going in the right direction. And, and so I have lots of optimism and I'm grateful that we we are where we are right now. Ren, could we start with a kind of a brief tutorial for those of the listeners who are unfamiliar with archetypal astrology and, and why should we care? Why does it matter? Why look to archetypal astrology at all? And I think that'll just be helpful for the uninitiated listener. We're here to open doors and to people's minds. And I think this is a heck of a good one to do so with. Yeah, well, so Archetypal Astrology was initiated by Richard Tarnas. A great book is Cosmos and Psyche. A good beginner book would be Prometheus the Awakener or any one of my three books. Archetypal Astrology recognizes that there is an observed correlation between alignments of the planets and the activation of archetypal emotional themes in our experience. So we don't see any kind of causal mechanism between the planets and our experience. We acknowledge human free will. Astrology can predict broad contours of experience. It's more like the emotions behind things. What are the basic themes and energies driving and underlying experiences and events. We still have to keep our hands on the wheel and act with utmost responsibility to help things turn out. So we see astrology as non-fatalistic and non-deterministic, and it operates within a framework of what Jung called a synchronicity. So the movements of the planets have a synchronistic correlation with the activation of these archetypal themes in our experience. It's not causal. Synchronicity means a meaningful coincidence. And so it implies a higher cosmic intelligence, which is essentially has set up the movements of the planets at different speeds that then come into certain alignments with each other at regular intervals in a kind of grand artistic expression. And it certainly doesn't give away all the universe's secrets by any means. In a way, it's like a great teacher or mentor, you know, winking at the novice student. That's what the gods or the cosmic creative principle has set in motion with astrology, I would say. It's enough to remind us that there is higher intelligence, there is order, there's purpose and direction in the universe, but not enough to give away the whole plot, give away the whole game. I see astrology as kind of like a roadmap, and it's very helpful if we're on a journey to know there are curves ahead, straightaways, intersections, and so on. But we still have to keep our hands on the wheel, as I said. Although a cartography of the cosmos, you could say, a vast and grand scope and very revolutionary in its hypothesis, it won't be enough to reverse the destructive and self-destructive tendencies in the human psyche. Groff makes this point in Healing Our Deepest Wounds, his book. What we really need is a deep emotional transformation of our species, an evolutionary 
breakthrough and, and healing of our sort of violent and greedy tendencies. So astrology can be very helpful, but its main purpose is to encourage us to do the deep inner work. Thank you for that explanation. There's a lot in there in what you just said. The deep inner work or you know, doing the work of self-exploration, inner healing, there are two things I'd love to touch on that. And there are some ways to do that, which we're familiar with, you're familiar with, holotropic breathwork, Stan Groff, that's one way. There are other avenues. And then your point about what Stan says that, you know, we need a, a you know, an awakening. I was listening to our first episode just in preparation for this conversation. And you had mentioned, Rick Tarnas said something like the 5,000 year birth canal. And we're just crowning now. We need to do the inner work. And I think for the uninitiated, it would be nice to hear, you know, what some of those things are. I, I know that holotropic breath work is one of the ways to get in there and get rid of some of the finite emotions that aren't doing us any good, right? Right, right. Well, Tarnas quote at the 97 Cycles and Symbols conference was, patriarchy is the 5,000-year birth canal of the great mother goddess. Thank you. We're in a kind of a species wide birth labor. And this Saturn-Pluto conjunction that we're in for the last two years and for this coming year represents some of the most difficult points in that process. It's like the dark night of the soul, hard birth contractions bearing down on the collective psyche. It's this sort of jamming pressure that forces the infant down the narrow birth canal and out. And it feels like death in some ways, but it's actually in the service of a miraculous process of birth and new life. We're being forced to evolve as a species. We now have nuclear weapons, so we have to overcome our aggressive tendencies. We're facing horrible, escalating ecological crisis, extinction of species, catastrophic climate change caused by the burning of fossil fuels, this insatiable greed is a kind of a compensation against our fear of death and our memory of being out of control in the birth process. So greed is this attempt to try to fill our souls with what we don't have and to build a bulwark against our fear. And we're now at a point where you know we have to come to a more sustainable way of living on the planet. We can increase the quality of life there's lots of room for all of us to be happier, healthier human beings. We all want that. People on the left and the right and everybody wants that. But we just can't keep burning through our forests and polluting our air, water, and soil, all that. Deep self-exploration can help us to get in touch with our aggressive feelings and our tendencies toward greed and acquisitiveness and sort of consume them from this finite pool that you mentioned, Jeff, and also to allow space within our beings for true satisfaction, a true sense of fulfillment and connection so that we don't have to overcompensate with power, prestige, and unreasonable levels of consumption. Mm -hmm. Thank you. By the time this airs, we may be beyond the winter solstice, but we're right in the neighborhood. And I was thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great to have a conversation with you about the solstice? And you presented the idea or the possibility of having a conversation around politics, 
around what we've just been through in this country and how archetypal astrology influences how people think and feel. And initially I was a bit resistant. And I think the reason for that was I was kind of burned out on the whole political world because it was so pervasive. It's been so pervasive and so divisive. It didn't take me long. I stepped out, went and had dinner, and I was sitting talking to my friend Tiffany, and, and she said, well, Jeff, you know, that sounds actually really interesting, what Ren proposed, because it may give us a glimpse and an understanding as to how others that maybe don't think the way we think and don't proceed the way we proceed in life are, how did they get there and, and why do they feel and think that way? I fairly quickly came to, oh yeah, right. That's exactly what we should be doing in this conversation with Ren. So a couple of the things that popped up in that conversation were listening with the intent to understand, seeking to understand someone else's point of view, unity within diversity, that we can have different opinions and different perspectives and come together for the benefit of the globe, the world, the universe, our species, etc. So thank you for bringing up the subject and let's plumb the depths. Let's see if we can understand, well, share your perspective and then what you know. And I think this will be a fascinating exploration conversationally for myself and listeners. Yeah, great. I want to talk about some of the perinatal influences on the culture wars happening and also some of the racial issues underlying it and also some of the religious elements, religious slash economic. So the first part is uh, perinatal themes engaged by the COVID-19 pandemic. And for those of your listeners who are not familiar with the term perinatal, this is from Stanislav Grof's research. He found that when people explore their psyches, there are three broad domains that they encounter. The first is the biographical, that's from infancy to the present, unresolved emotions and events and so on. And then the perinatal, which is about birth and death, that layer of the psyche, and then vast transpersonal domains. The perinatal layer is a very important part of the psyche. It hasn't been integrated yet in very many psychological schools. So the COVID-19 pandemic is some of these conspiracy theories. I mean, in terms of reality, in terms of objective experience, all of us are having feelings of fear, feelings of helplessness and victimization. These are strongly connected with Stan's uh, basic perinatal matrix too, a feeling of constriction, compression, contraction, but no way out, no exit. It's also connected with the archetype of Saturn. So feeling stuck in a holding pattern, enforced boundaries, enforced introspection, which many people hate, but other people find that this is a very valuable period of reset and self-examination of our priorities and our values and so on. I think that the reason why so many people, especially on the far right, but not only on the far right, are resisting these the sort of mask mandates and basic protocols to stop the spread or reduce the spread of COVID-19 is because it reminds us of this perinatal memory of we've lost the womb, we're now being constricted by the uterine walls that are contracting around us, and there's no exit. We're essentially trapped and encaged. 
And people have a tremendous fear of that memory. This is the worst experience that human beings can have, Groff found. And people don't want to be trapped or to be told by others that they have to be a certain way or stay at home. It reminds people of that. It's also exacerbating feelings of depression for many people. So the conspiracy theories go right to the extent that a feeling of oppression by those in authority, vaccines as a form of control or domination, a vast conspiracy to steal our autonomy and freedom. And I think people are overreacting and projecting on the medical health authorities because of these perinatal memories. Having spent time with Stan and being you know, somewhat familiar with the four perinatal matrices, you've referenced, I think, two so far in conversation. It makes sense to me when I hear you speak and you speak so eloquently and you're so knowledgeable after 44 decades of you know, research and, and living and, and exploration and time with Rick Tarnas and Stan Groff, and I appreciate it. It all resonates. Right? And I, I suspect with my listeners, and I don't try and put it out there on them, and, and I'm not going to try and put it out, you, out there on you listeners, but it resonates with me. So, you know, fascinating and makes sense. You know, why do we resist? And I've said so many times in different episodes that there are very few mature adults that I'm familiar with who like to be told what to do by anybody. <laughs> so your point about that, being cornered, being trapped. So yeah, makes sense to me. There are things that society makes us do or that we agree to do that most people agree with like stopping at stoplights you know wearing seat belts not uh, shooting at other people and so on so you know it's just sort of what you think is important what you think is real i suppose determines your response to that now there's perinatal themes also engaged by the trump presidency and election and again tremendous anxiety a fear of engagement you know, liberals, progressive people, and even moderate Republicans were tremendously afraid that the election would be stolen, like afterwards. Fear of loss of freedom. From a liberal perspective, this has been an alarming brush with totalitarianism. People would see Trump as a self-serving tyrant and manipulator. Now, from a more right-wing perspective, they would see Trump's projection of strength as an admirable virtue, a necessary hardening of defensive boundaries, like against uh, Mexicans or other immigrants and so on, the sort of strongman persona that he likes to project. Tremendous fear of loss of freedom in socialism or communism. I think in a way that, that the extremes of 20th century politics of Nazism, fascism on one side, communism on the other, have kind of showed the collective psyche what doesn't work. These kind of extremes don't work. Human freedom is so precious and important. We need to evolve toward a more compassionate and caring species, but it's not going to happen through that kind of totalitarian control. And both people on the left and the right both hate that. They don't want that. It's not the way. What is the way? Or what are some of the ways? We have to find the kindness and compassion and generosity within our own beings. Any system could work if people were good. 
if people were compassionate and caring. Any economic system could work. Kindness, compassion, and caring. Yeah. The Buddhists have an expression that when we remove the arrow of suffering, compassion follows automatically. And Groff's research really confirms this, that he found there's a finite amount of negative material in the individual psyche. And when we heal it, when we unpack it systematically in sessions, people automatically have an opening of their hearts and automatically want to work with others in a cooperative way in synergy. They want meaningful forms of employment, something that they can believe in. They want to live in a more harmonious way with nature. There's feelings of brotherhood and sisterhood and so on. He Groff calls these intrinsic human values. I believe that's the way forward. And I see that the right and the left are, in a sense, kind of putting checks on each other so that the baby goes down the birth canal toward the light and doesn't go off on tangents into these kind of political extremes on either direction. We're overdoing it too. I mean, the changes that Biden and Harris would like to affect, like the Green New Deal, this is urgently needed. And this is good for everybody. It will not take away anything from anyone. This is absolutely necessary. And, you know, to wean ourselves from burning carbon, I think it would also be very helpful to decriminalize or legalize psychedelic medicines so that when used responsibly, that these can help to heal people, you know, in a more kind of widespread way. So there's some interesting political cartoons floating around. Groff observed that when people are reliving this BPM2, basic perinatal matrix to the no exit stage of labor, they can have images of being trapped by a giant spider or a giant octopus. There's a political cartoon where, you know, the government is portrayed as this huge octopus and trying to strangle everybody. And that's the kind of propaganda that resonates with people's deep fears, deep memories of that entrapping stage of labor. And then they project that on, on each other. You know, and then this lockdown they just see as a kind of a plot rather than a necessary way to save people's lives. Now, on the positive side, this activated Saturn in the collective psyche right now with this Pluto-Saturn conjunction, as I said, we've discovered a deep capacity to persevere and endure difficult situations, and it's been a time of forced introspection and a reset of our basic priorities and life strategy. The next BPM is based on now the cervix is open and the infant is being pressed through the narrow birth canal. This is connected with the archetype of Pluto, the death-rebirth struggle, activation of tremendous biological energies facing of the shadow side of human nature. This is strongly activated right now because of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction as well. So feelings of uh, titanic fight and activation of aggression. You think of Herbert Spencer, born with a Saturn-Pluto conjunction, the famous sociologist of the 19th century. He coined the term survival of the fittest. When people are under the influence of, of these perinatal matrices, they, they see the world in terms of competition and antagonism. You know, the law of the jungle, Kipling coined that term also born with a Saturn-Pluto alignment. It's a limited-sum game. If your group has power, then my group's going to lose power. It's an endless competition. And that's not actually the way 
the universe works. We can all benefit from deep self-exploration. In that pursuit, there's a variable sum. Your healing breakthroughs benefit everyone and take away you know, nothing from anyone. There's also a sadomasochistic feelings connected with Pluto. The Marquis de Sade was born with Venus, Mars, Pluto, and T-square. Issues, what Groff calls demonic archetypes, scatological feelings, and pyrocatharsis. And I just mentioned those because I'm now going to talk about some of those themes that have been activated in the last uh, year. Can I interrupt for a second? Ren, I love the statement or sentence, you know, it's time for us to lay down our swords and shields. You know, I heard that from Lee Schwan on who was at the Holotropic weekend, right? She was an integral part of that. She said it to me, Jeff, like you can, you don't have to be out there being a warrior. You can lay down your sword and your shield. It's time to settle and do the work and and go inward. And I think that's a, it's a really... I wanted to interrupt because I think it's a really, really cool, important message for listeners to hear. Yeah, great. So, you know, we have those feelings within us. Some of it's perinatal from BPM3 and some of it's through our racial bloodlines and so on. And, you know, the way forward is not to just, let's just all act like Tiny Tim or something like that, you know, tiptoe through the tulips. We can express those energies out of our system in these sessions people can spend hours in raging aggression murderous feelings they can have images of all of these events in our collective history where people were acting those same feelings out against each other this is what from called malignant human aggression this is not what we need to survive i mean we need to be able to you know if a bear attacks us in the woods we have to have adrenaline and respond to that situation but we have way more than we need and that's what we can get out of our systems and expel eliminate from our psyches and i think that trump represents as i said the last line of this you know white supremacy and and i think that was the main drawing card for many people and that emotional appeal People have those feelings inside of themselves and they just don't know what to do with them. By working them out in sessions, then they can reach a place where they can see other human groups and other religions as not a threat, but as interesting variety. And, you know, it can enrich our lives, make it more interesting that, you know, the war of the time of conquering is over. We can also relive terrible events from like the slave trade, for example, like Caucasians can identify with Africans in the slave trade and First Nations people dying of smallpox or victims of genocide when the Europeans got here. These can greatly help to reduce racial tensions in the present. And I believe that this is a really important kind of wild card in solving our racial issues. From a liberal perspective, we can see sadomasochistic themes right now in the acts of police brutality, you know, these these poor victims of the few bad cops. I can't breathe, again, tying it in with that perinatal trauma. From a far-right conspiracy perspective, you know, like QAnon, for example, seeing the Democratic Party as a cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles running a global sex trafficking ring and plotting against 
President Donald Trump, who was fighting the cabal. This is one of the more outrageous conspiracy theories out there. And I believe that this has strong roots in the memory of BPM-3. This is why people can be convinced that such a thing happens, because of the memory of the choking in the birth process, which creates a kind of enforced sexual arousal. Groff observed this, the sadomasochistic side of this BPM-3 experience. And when people are reliving this, they can have a sense of a you know, satanic masses, witches' sabbaths, and so on, involving deviant sexual practices and torture and so on. And by facing it, they consume it from the system, and then light streams in and good triumphs over evil. So the people that perpetuate these theories, I think, are manipulating people because of this memory that a young being is being exploited by dark, evil forces. This is essentially a perinatal memory. There is also a tendency during Saturn-Pluto alignments towards splitting and othering, projection of one's shadow material onto other people. Uh, Rick talks about this in Cosmos and Psyche. From a liberal perspective, we can see demonic themes in the moral failure of many GOP leaders in not condemning the totalitarian behavior of Trump in his attempts to overturn the results of the election. They would see him as a self-serving demagogue on a dangerous power trip, uh, essentially an attempted coup. There's a great cartoon here, seeing Trump as a savior, and then Trump is like, don't feed the poor, don't shelter the homeless, double the military, Mary Magdalene's a 10. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of things. You are a research guy. Like you're deep into all of this, which I love. And it's one of the reasons I love having this conversation. You're referencing so much of obviously what's going on and, and what has gone on, and, and you're well versed. So thank you. I appreciate that. While I have the microphone, can you define or help define? You've mentioned session work. You know, we can come to terms with certain things through, you know, sit work during sessions. And I, I think from a listener, and we touch on this at ATBS pretty regularly, like, you know, self-exploration and where do you, what are some of the options that are out there? And I was talking to a good friend of mine in Vermont the other day, and he expressed his interest specifically in holotropic breathwork. And I just did a quick little search and found a retreat center nearby to where he lives, that he could find his way there when COVID starts to lift and we can move around a little bit more. But talk to me a little bit, if you would, about session work. And if people are saying, well, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> where do I do that? Like, I, I some in some cases, I think it's as simple as, you know, you can grab a wiffle ball bat and beat the crap out of the back of your couch for a while and let let it out. If no one's around, you know, scream a bit and and release. But I think there's a whole lot more I know there's a whole lot more than that. Yeah, the basic principle is you allow your energies and emotions to come forth. You trust your own inner healer, whatever is emerging, you port that, you get out of the way and let it emerge fully. So holotropic breathwork is a great modality. In four to six months, that might become available again. If you could find a therapist, if you could afford a therapist that was working with psychedelic medicines, including cannabis, that would be a good option for you. 
Another great option is if you have a spiritual friend that you could trade sessions with. In Groff's approach, which I call the Groff or internalized set, it's only one client at a time that is journeying. And then they would have at least one sitter, ideally a male-female pair or dyad supporting them. So the journeyer lies down with eye shades and headphones on, and then the sitters are not under the influence of any substance not even cannabis. And they just hold space, get out of the way, offer support if needed, hold the journeyer's hands if he or she wants that, if they ask for it, initiate it, you know, help them to the bathroom and so on. In that kind of a situation, you have full permission to go anywhere with your process. It's like you take the time to set up Cape Canaveral and then the rocket can blast off with all of its power. There's no sound limits. It should be done in a soundproof space. No one coming or going who isn't directly involved with the session. At the end of the day, then set up a group of your friends or family can come at a predetermined time for a potluck rebirthday feast. Go for a walk together, maybe dance a little or have a circle or have a nice feast together. Such a beautiful way to spend time. And then if your main sitter is, is, let's say, one person, a spiritual friend, then the next weekend you trade. You sit for that person. Even like a group of three people where one person does a journey with two sitting every third weekend, let's say, you'll go deeper and process more if you do every third session in that format than if you do every time with a group, let's say, where everyone's doing you know, mushrooms, let's say, every time. Because you just can't go as deep in that situation. Well, in the sitting, holding space for others, and I said this in our last episode, my experience during the the holotropic breathwork shop was, you know, the sitting was profound in, in and of itself. So, you know, no influence. In that case, deep rhythmic breathing and evocative music for the holotropic breath workshop. But the sitting is profound. It is. It's very rewarding, can be very moving for people. And it's a good training for relationship. It's better if one person is processing at a time and the other one supports it rather than a dysfunctional couple where they're yelling and they're squabbling and fighting and projecting on each other all the time. Well, thank you for that explanation. I think it's super helpful for people to hear like, okay, what are we talking about here? And we'll, as I always do, we'll put, you know, references and, and, uh, websites and things like that that you can find online and you can find those in the show notes uh, when this is up. And archetypal astrology can be a support in that process, like for choosing good days for sessions, for understanding and integrating sessions and so on. Should I just go through a few more of these perinatal themes? Yeah, love to. And And, and actually, before we do that, books, sessions, consultations, readings, Ren is not only, you know, an author and he's got a couple of great books out, The Archetypal Universe and O oh Goddess, Love, Eros and Transcendence in Astrology and uh, the first book, Pathways to Wholeness. And all of that can be found along with consultations and sessions and all sorts uh, at his website, renbutler.com. Really important that everybody knows where to find these things and He's got a, you've got a podcast and, and there's a whole bunch of stuff there. So I encourage 
listeners to go check out Ren. I have the archetypal universe, the book, and love it. And so I encourage you to go there. Back to you, Ren. Hey, thanks, Jeff. So these sort of demonic themes that Groff observed connected with Pluto and BPM3, there's a lot of that activated right now. From a conservative perspective or a right-wing perspective, they would see sort of American society now or the world as a battle between good and evil. They see the liberal atheist agenda trying to steal Christmas, Jesus, God, and people's spirituality is, is a very important part of their lives. I certainly don't resonate with religious fundamentalism myself. I, I'm ex-Mormon. I experienced the leaving the church as a, as a breakthrough in my family trajectory, though there's, you know, there are a lot of good Mormons out there, no question about it. Um, I do agree with the sense that atheism and secularism is not really the way forward for humanity. Even the fundamentalist Christians are correct at least that far. This is not the way just to, to live without any kind of divine connection or awareness. When people do deep self-exploration, they automatically sooner or later, we'll have mystical, personal experiences of divine consciousness. It does not take the form of fundamentalist views of religion. You can have experiences of gods and goddesses from any part of the human pantheon, any culture that has ever existed. You can experience the gods, goddesses, heavens, hells, purgatories from those cultures. So the kind of spirituality that automatically emerges within people who do this kind of deep systematic work is a more non-denominational, non-sectarian, it's all-encompassing, all-inclusive, a universal kind of spirituality. The access that we have now to all the deities of the collective pantheon is something new, Groff writes in his book, uh, When the Impossible Happens. For many thousands of years, all the artists in one particular group would seem to have their mystical feelings sort of mediated through the same deities, like it was Christ and Mary, for example, let's say in Christian Ireland. In China, it would be Buddha or Taoism. Now we have access to all of them, and the partitions in the collective unconscious seem to have lifted. And what that suggests is that fundamentalism is on its way out. Anyone who genuinely opens to their psyche will have experiences sooner or later from other cultural contexts, other religious contexts. But they, when they have them, they know these are real, these are legitimate, and these take nothing away from the validity of their religion that they grew up in. Those experiences lend themselves to a more mystical, esoteric version, let's say, of Christianity, not the sort of fundamentalist wing of Christianity. And so I think that the kind of shrill, weird behavior that we're seeing now from some members in, in the Republican Party is this sort of last death gasp of a kind of fundamentalist view of the world. This is the only true religion. This is the only authentic spirituality. And they're cut off because if you are actually uh, in touch with yourself, your psyche will present other alternatives, other complementary spiritual symbols to the ones that you were raised in. 
another sort of subset of of this vector in Western history that saw the monotheistic religions as the superior religions. You know, it, it was Judaism, then Christianity, then Islam all saw themselves as the sort of final one true religion. That is an important part of the culture wars. The Protestants in United States culture have this sort of sense that they're superior to the Catholics. And that's one of the reasons why they don't want Mexican immigration, is because this is more, you know, Catholics coming in. This is a, a sort of a superiority complex within the Protestant wing of the Christian religion, which I don't think is actually warranted. I mean, in many ways, the Catholic Church, in its present form at least, cares maybe more about the poor around the world than the sort of mainstream Protestant churches, at least the fundamentalist ones. There's also an element of Protestantism which really lends itself to two-fisted runaway forms of capitalism, especially in sort of some of the Scottish preachers talked about how you can tell God's favor of a person by their financial success. So they equated financial wealth with righteousness and being saved, being one of the elect. This goes in stark contrast to Christ's teachings about humility and modesty and so on. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so there's this absurd, grotesque character where people can admire someone like Trump or some other billionaires and see them, they must be good in some way, even if they make their money through immoral ways. And I think that that is a kind of a problem within the, some of the Protestant streams within Christianity. Just listening and and knowing you, having having familiarity with you and listening to where you're going and how it all weaves together uh, is fascinating. It's a Sometimes when I'm recording a podcast, I, I find myself, I'm, I'm a fascinated listener. <laughs> a phrase that kind of weaves through one episode into the next and conversations and thoughts, which is unity within diversity. We're all humans, and then there's just so much diversity among us. And can we strive for that unity within diversity? That, that to me, plays in and it's time to time to lay down our swords and our shields and move beyond the factions, the the zero sum game. We don't have to have winners and losers. We could go a long way if we just started there. Yeah, yeah, and and I just want to say to people out there who who are religious, they maybe identify as Christians, the, the kind of spirituality that emerges is a tremendously positive force in the world. And it takes nothing away from Christianity. Atheists can have experiences of Christ, of Mary, of God. But they can also experience Buddha, Apollo, Isis, Lakshmi. And these things are not seen as exclusive to each other. They coexist. These are all faces of the divine consciousness, personas of the divine. I'm going to skip a few parts here, so I'll just finish up on this, this kind of research that I did a few weeks ago. Great. Love to hear it. One of the main takeaways, I think, Jeff, is the acknowledgement of the unhealed shadow material in the collective psyche. This is a stunning event of the last six weeks. 
you know, where a huge percentage of people have been essentially lied to, persuaded that the election was unfair, and and so many leaders trashed the democratic process in order to keep their side in power. I think it's an urgent need for more powerful inner uncovering processes. I heard a great little bit yesterday from someone, and I've forgotten the person's name, said that the influence of social media has amplified all the negative qualities. It's like this feedback loop. So the vanityification, <laughs> yeah, uh, the the outrageification. So people who are angry can find websites that stoke their anger, and it gets intensified. People who who believe in sort of demonic conspiracies can find websites to support that. These parts that were latent within us can now be sort of boosted through this amplification and replication. And it, it really represents an omega point. Now now we have to face those energies. We have to deal with the psychological underpinnings of those energies. And I believe that psychology is the root of the problem. Now we're just going to look at BPM-4 very briefly here. Flows of liberation as the infant exits the birth canal and comes into the delivery room. A sense of salvation, redemption, brilliant white and golden light, reconnection with the divine. There's a sense of blessed relief coming from the imminent vaccines. That's connected with BPM-4 and Uranus. Rictarnus made the correlation between Uranus. I guess from a conservative perspective, they would say Trump was right about rounding the corner. From a liberal perspective, before the election, desperate yearnings for change and deliverance. Please save us from this. So Uranus is activated now because it's in a wide square with Pluto, and it will be squaring Saturn and Jupiter for most of this coming year. And Uranus will be squaring Saturn right up until 2023. So the sense of decompression and release of pressure, survival of the democratic process, many state officials, including many Republicans, acknowledge for showing integrity and withstanding pressure to overturn the legitimate results of the election. And even the Trump-appointed judges are doing their jobs upholding the, the rule of law. Potential return to normalcy, decency, intrinsic human values of kindness, tolerance, respect, appreciation of diversity, Biden's ideals of healing and unity. They would see that Trump's rebellion against normalcy and decency is a misplaced view of the way forward, and that his his son Uranus trying Jupiter natal aspect tends to lend itself to messianic projections and Midas touch inflation. Also, Tremendous breakthroughs in the area of civil rights and female empowerment in the election of Kamala Harris as vice president, the potential for an urgently needed Green New Deal. Now, from the conservative perspective, people have seen Trump as a messiah restoring the 1950s paradise, as they saw it, or as leading people to the promised land, attempted restoration of white privilege and male privilege. But people don't really want that. That wasn't a happy state. Anyway, what we want is spiritual rebirth. That's what our soul longs for, is to reconnect with the divine beyond death and mortality, the infinite and eternal divine consciousness. That's what everyone is yearning for, on the right or the left. And white privilege and male privilege 
did not deliver that and actually created an opportunity for karma, for acting out in various forms of power trip against other human groups and other, other people. We can see Trump as a kind of a rebel hero, as way he's seen by the right, unbound by convention. I can understand that people don't want to just go back to the normal way of doing things. They feel it's intolerable. They're sitting on a powder keg of these unconscious perinatal emotions. Trump seemed to offer a way out, like you can express your hate at these people. That's okay. It's okay to be greedy. You can pollute again. Just make money and don't worry about planet Earth. People can express those feelings, but those create negative karmic reactions. We can work with those emotions in sessions leading to healing and no negative effects in the outer world. I wrote in one brief shining moment that was Trump a lot. (laughs) Of course you did. Of course you did. It sounds like to me, we have got a fair amount to be optimistic about. I think it will be probably be less a sense of dark pressure upon us this year, but the Saturn-Uranus square for the next few years, it will still tend to lend itself toward extremist points of view. The culture wars will probably continue. I think that things will ease off in terms of the overall sense of pressure. We're in a, in a major death-rebirth struggle. Uh, climate change is an ongoing, escalating problem. We have to switch to renewable energy, and we have to reintegrate ways for people to face their unconscious emotions in these kind of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, holotropic breathwork, and similar techniques. I believe that that's absolutely essential. I guess this is where my some of my optimism comes from, is that You know, I think I hear and I'm aware of lots of people who are awakening, who are discovering, who are doing inner work, who are reaching out and sharing and exploring. It feels to me as though there are lots of people who are on a path to greater awareness, awakening, what have you. And that may just be because that's what I'm partly what I'm interested in. I agree with you that it's it's necessary. Maybe necessary is not the right word, but it's certainly, well, okay, it's necessary and beneficial. We would do well to be open to exploration through numerous modalities. Yeah, yeah. Progressive liberal people need to get in touch with their inner Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so we could reach out. You know, we can reach out and and... Mike Cashel said this to me. He's a good friend and a big supporter of ATBS, the podcast. And every day, we each have the opportunity to reach out and seek to understand somebody else. Or I am very fortunate with this podcast that, you know, I get to reach a fair number of people with your perspective, with your knowledge and expertise. And we get to open some doors into some areas of our minds and and the world and, and the universe that we might not be familiar with. It's one of my goals is to, you know, open those doors and let's go explore. And in this case, let's do the work. And there are lots of ways to do it. Yeah. The way to reach people is probably just to talk about psychology, like how are they suffering? What are their symptoms? People's political views are kind of their 
result of their psychology. And so people that refuse to see the, the election as legitimate probably have even deeper grievances within themselves. It would seem so, or it would, that seems reasonable. It's good to talk about that because everybody wants healing. Everybody wants relief. Right. At the same time, people on the right need to get in touch with their sort of wild or liberal progressive energies within their psyches. These things aren't a threat to civilization. You can face these things in sessions. There's no negative moral consequences from them. You, you don't want to you know, act out all the crazy energies in the human psyche in the social world. But in sessions, you can let it out. Well, and, and back to that, how did you phrase it? What's the, what's the opposite of the zero-sum game? Variable sum. Variable sum. That nobody loses, right? Because just because I have an awareness or an awakening or, or come to a realization, it doesn't harm anybody else. It doesn't take anything away from anyone else. Exactly. And people tend to become more tolerant of other political and religious viewpoints. They're not threatened by them. They see them as emanating from human psychology. Ren, boy, I have a lot swimming around in my mind after listening to you and your research. One of my takeaways here is, look, we've all got tons of things to unpack, right? There's no shame in that. There's no, we all have things that we need to work on and that we inner healing and things like that. And it's different for everybody. Some things are the same. I just love the fact that there are ways to go about it especially in the world in which we live today. So I'm grateful and love the fact that you're willing to come back to the podship and share for the second time, Ren. It was a privilege, Jeff. Thank you. Really fun. Thanks for giving me a chance to explore some of these ideas and insights. You're very welcome. Please go ahead and, and tell my listeners, our listeners, what you're offering. I know you've got some workshops. I know you do readings and consultations renbutler.com is where you find all that. I know you're right in the middle of a 10-month workshop. I think you said you're going to do it again in September. It's an online class in archetypal and holotropic astrology. I start from the ground up so you don't have to have any familiarity with astrology. Lots of examples from movies, music, philosophy, mythology, art of all the different archetypal combinations. We talk about dreams, talk about uh, psychedelic sessions, relationship issues. It's a very rich community that's formed. So it'd be an honor to have anyone involved in that. And I do consultations and it, you know, my favorite kind of client is someone who's interested in deep work and, and is interested in how astrology can support that. I know I have listeners who are who fall into that category. I can think I won't call anybody out, but I know they're. Uh, I can think of a number right off the bat. So RenButler.com, great books, great sessions, great op, uh, you know consultations. And Ren, I thank you from deep within for being here and spending your time and sharing with me and my listeners. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, to everyone out there listening, thanks for listening to us today. Happy solstice, Merry Christmas. I wish you the very best with your uh, inner journeys this coming year. Thank you so much, Ren. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode with Ren Butler. 
This podcast is produced by me and Wyatt Schmidt. Original artwork and music by Wyatt Schmidt. ATBS is greatly influenced by you, the listener. Your comments and feedback on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube help us to improve the podcast and guide us into the future where we will continue sharing the highest vibrations possible. Peace.